0: everyone and welcome to my dog ate my email a podcast all about email marketing from the DMA i am your host lily boev director of client success here at future and with me today is Kate Barrett. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, Lily. I'm excited. We've been trying to schedule this in for a long time. So. I know. It, that's one of the hardest bits about this this deal is uh, is is trying to schedule in to Absolutely. get people to, to but talk we're to us. We're on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Kate is the is the founder of eFocus Marketing, and she's a fellow Email Council member. I think we've been working together probably for about three years now. I reckon. Yeah. It's so not longer, <laughs> actually. Yeah, probably. So why don't you uh, why don't you tell A little
1: bit about what you do. Sure. So eFocus Marketing, we're a specialist email marketing agency based in London. We've been going for about five years now, so we're we'll say boutique, but growing. We've got a fantastic range of clients, and I'm lucky enough that over the last kind of 13-14 years of working in email, I've personally been able to work with brands like Marks and Spencer, Nissan, Adidas, QVC, a whole range, and even from you know, small companies just getting started. You know, I work with a doctor in America who does online courses and a conference So he's, you know, one man band all the way through to those big names. So it's really given me a view of what works, what doesn't work, how you can take those strategies across different industries. And that's why I set up eFocus Marketing was to help more than one business at a time to really mm. understand how to use email intelligently and energize their campaigns.
0: This is episode 7 of the podcast and in today's session we are going to be covering the perpetual death of email that old chestnut that we uh, that we love hearing about pretty much on a yearly basis. Absolutely. We'll also be covering a bit about the differences and similarities between business to business and business to consumer email marketing.
1: Yeah, again, a big conversation topic that always comes up, so I'm excited to dig into these two.
0: Absolutely. Let's kick off with the death of email. Kate, why don't you tell me and our listeners what your opinion of whether email is dying. And, I, and by the look of your face, I can, I can tell where, where we're going to go with this. But why don't you tell us anyway?
1: Absolutely. So funnily enough, Lily, <laughs> I published a book all about email marketing in January this year. And the title of that book is e Email Marketing Isn't Dead, The Way You're Using It Is. And the whole point of that book was to really dispel this myth that is constantly going around and really get people to understand that it is isn't email as a channel that's dead, as a channel, Email is going from strength to strength, and it does every year. So we've seen it in the latest DMA report where we've jumped up almost £10 between 2017 and 2018 in terms of the return on investment.
0: It's like £40 now, isn't it, the the ROI on email? It's amazing.
1: It's amazing. We'll come back to that in just a second. But the, the point is that people are not stopping creating email addresses, and they're not stopping using them to manage their lives, manage what they buy, manage... Their conversations with people. And I think that yes, the way that digital is right now, we have conversations through other mediums as well. We have WhatsApp for our you know one-to-one conversations, we have social media for customer service a lot of the time for businesses, social media is used, but email is still the number one channel that people want to receive information about your business offers about what you're doing, you know, account information, you don't want to be doing that through social media for the the security side of it. Yes, email isn't perfect. Yes, we have phishing and spoofing and those kind of things. But I think it's still a lot more secure than those channels. So people are not stopping using it. And the way that businesses are using it is what needs to change. So we're away from this batch and blast, you know, 15 years ago, it worked. And you know what? Actually, today, it does still work, but not to that 42 pounds in return on investment level. If you want the highest return from your campaigns, you've got to get clever with it. You've got to be intelligent with it. You know, that's the whole point of the, the title, intelligence. It's about using it intelligently rather than just smashing out the same thing to everybody and hoping it's you know throwing mud at a wall isn't it hmm. and hoping that it sticks so we've got to think about our strategy and again we know from the DMA reports that a lack of strategy is one of the key challenges that businesses face so you don't know what you don't know you need to understand where you want to go with your strategy and really break that down into your tactics so emails not
0: dead the way you're using it is. Do you think the fact that many businesses actually don't have a strategy, what they have is a set of actions or tactics that is one of the reasons why email doesn't necessarily work or some businesses don't think it necessarily works for them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's if you don't know where to go next, I've spoken to so many potential clients recently where... Their biggest issue has been, you know, in their words, we're firefighting every day. We're working so hard just to get the campaigns out the door that the business wants us to. We don't have time to work on the strategy. We don't know what to do next. As in, you know, do we work on automation? Do we work on data segmentation? Do we just work on our design? You know, design is the first thing that people jump to. And actually, if you don't have a solid strategy behind it, it's not going to do you much good because you're probably not sending the right message to the right person at the right time. So, yeah, I absolutely
0: think that that's true. I think from all of the businesses I've spoken to, one of, the, one of my pet peeves, amongst the many pet peeves that I have, <laughs> is where I hear, oh, yes, we send a monthly newsletter. Why isn't it working? And that's their strategy. They send a monthly newsletter. I'm like, that, that's not a strategy. It's why are you sending the newsletter? Yeah. the newsletter is the action and the activity and i think that's it, i just hear it all too often and i think i think that's really and actually this is something that we talked about in the email council a few a few months ago is trying to attract or why why can't we attract the cmo to conversations about email is because they care about the strategy and email is actually quite a tactical channel but doesn't mean it can't be without a strategy or it can't tie into a bigger strategy for 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 business development and and you know, revenue for, for a lot of businesses. Yeah. Do
1: you know what? I think that for me, this is a really key area. So I teach the email courses for the IDM as well. And when I come in and I'm in front of the students, and this is a key area that we spend a whole day talking about on the first day of the course. And we sit there and we say, okay, you have to understand who you're sending your emails to, what you want to say to them, when you're going to do it, where you're going to get the resources from, you know, the who, what, when, where. Most importantly, why? Mm. If you don't start with why, and it's that whole Simon Sinek, you start with your why, isn't it? You know, for businesses, for everything, it's exactly the same for email. Why are you sending this email? What do you want to achieve with it? Where are you going with it? So, Again, we, we kind of break it down in terms of your objectives. Look at your overall business objectives, you know, whether it's to increase revenue by 10% or whatever it is for, for that year. What's your objective? How does that filter down into your marketing department across all channels? You know, is it that you need to then increase your retention by 20% to get to your bigger business objective? So you're breaking it down, then you go into the channels. So you then break it down into What does that mean for email? So if you know that as a marketing department, you're tasked with increasing retention by 20%. Okay, so where would we start, Lily? We'd start by looking at what's that, what was the data coming in that's going to tell us when people are in that stage? And then what are the communications that we can automate a lot of the time to keep people coming back? What do they need to know at that point? What are the things that mean that they drop off? You know, the thing that I like to look at is abandoned basket. So if we think about a B2C objective or even a B2B B if you've got abandoned forms, why are people dropping off at that point? What is it that's stopping them from moving forward? And this is where it drives me crazy, right? Pet peeves.
0: (laughs) Drives me crazy. We should start a list of pet peeves for all of our hosts, actually. That's a... Next podcast. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Pet peeves in email.
1: But, you know, I see companies do this time and time again. They'll send out one email that says, hey, you know, we noticed that you left these items in your basket. Come back and buy them. Okay. Yes. Reminding people what's in their basket is one element of that piece of communication that you want to send. But why did they leave those items in the basket? Was there an unexpected shipping cost? Were they just researching and haven't found the product that's right for them yet? Have they then gone off and bought somewhere else? And people say to me, but how do you know that? There's a few ways. Speak to the customer service team in your business. What's the most frequent reason that people phone them? You'll get a whole load of questions back from that that's going to give you data. Mm -hmm. Look at people's browse behavior. If they're doing a lot of browsing across different products, different blogs on your site before they then stop that process – that's telling you something in itself. So the data is there, you've just got to find it and then put it into a strategy that works to meet your objectives. You know, if we're bringing back people back in from the abandoned form or the abandoned basket, we've got to understand why they're doing it to understand why we're sending those emails and the action that we want them to take. So, you know, kind of bringing it back around, you've got to understand what your objectives are and then build a strategy and then the individual tactical actions, the individual emails to get you to that end result that you want to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is something that we will definitely come back to in our conversation topic. about um, B2B and B2C and some of the differences and challenges. I'd like to just take a step back and, and come back to the to the death of email and uh, something that you you were, you was kind of alluded to, uh, the different types of communication methods that exist at the moment around social media. We mentioned WhatsApp. And I think there is a pl- a real place where email sits in our society. It's become absolutely critical to our day-to-day lives. You know, you can't exist. You can't have an online persona without an email address. You can't yeah. open a social media account. You can't, can't buy anything online without an email address. It, you know, it's become as as important as having cash, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: right? But I think it actually has quite a bad rep because of uh, you know you mentioned phishing, you mentioned all of the security threats. Mm-hmm. You know we get so many emails, and it does get a bit of a bad rep.
1: And it's the it's the batch and blast sending say the same thing to everyone. You know if you did anything in life, if you walked into a shop and the salesperson Try to sell every single person that walked in the same item of clothing.
0: Or every item of clothing.
1: Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I buy everything. Yeah, it just doesn't work like Especially that. Especially in it's Britain.
0: Yeah. You get a Brit walking into a shop <laughs> and that someone says, can I help you? Oh my God, the panic. Yeah. Please don't talk to me. I just want to browse on my own. Yeah. It's intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Interestingly, I did read a, a really good article. Completely, ta- complete tangent. I read a really interesting article about the way um, e-commerce websites um, look in different uh, for different cultures, and they used Uniqlo as an example okay. of how they presented the website in Western cultures and how they presented the website in Eastern cultures. And in Eastern cultures, they actually prefer to have all the information in one place whereas for us in the west it's a bit more hidden people prefer it to be more um cleaner i guess Mm. in terms of what is presented on the screen Um, but that is a very big cultural difference i I think it might maybe it was e-consultancy that had this article absolutely fascinating Um, i'll try and put it in the show notes because if you do work um, or you do sell products or work with Eastern cultures. um It's a it was a real insight into the way in which they prefer. So complete tangent from the death. No, of email, no. I
1: think again, this comes back to you know. So the, the whole thing that we're talking about here is the death of email, but it's not. It's how you're using it. And if you don't have a strategy, you're not going to be using it in an intelligent way. Part of your strategy. Understanding your data. See how I'm linking all this back in, Lily? It wasn't a tangent at all. So <laughs> it was all intentional. Absolutely. So again, you know, when I when I teach about strategy, I talk about your data hierarchy. And cultural is one of those big pieces of data that people often forget, that they often leave aside. But you know, supermarkets are usually very good at doing this. The products that people would buy in London versus in Edinburgh will be completely different. There'll mm. be different, there'll be cultural differences in terms of names of things as well. Um, but the trends of what people buy are very different. So you have to understand all of this to get back to it. And as part of your strategy, you have to understand all these details. But you also have to understand your numbers. So linking back to what we were talking about, the DMA stat with the increased return on investment, I think there's two reasons why that has increased so much between 2017 and 2018. I mean, it's always been increasing year on year, but this is a massive jump. So, the report, and again, I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read it, showed that there was an increase in the number of people actually being able to calculate their return on investment. I mean, you know, come on, this is really a basic, but there's so many basics that we're not doing as part of that strategy and as part of of how we manage our email. So being able to calculate it and understanding your numbers, understanding why you're doing it, what you want to achieve, and then whether success or failure is definitely important. The other piece as to why that number has jumped up so significantly is GDPR. And I think that this links in perfectly with the death of email, because we had that massive panic pre-GDPR. And yes, granted, a lot of people cut a lot of their data from their lists, some for the right reasons, some because they didn't understand GDPR properly and what that meant. And actually GDPR on the whole is not about your marketing it's about how you process the data I think the word marketing is actually mentioned in GDPR once
0: yeah Something I think people have like really that. misinterpreted the point of GDPR and yeah. I feel a little bit nasty every time I correct someone where they talk about But, but no one send, it sending it. emails as being yeah. the crux of GDPR I'm like no no no. no 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 we're talking about consent to process data not consent to send emails yeah. but you need to process data in order to send Yeah, exactly. Yes,
1: absolutely. And this is the thing, you know, it's it's PECA, Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations that is soon to be e privacy when we get the update finally, probably next year. If we need it. Well, yeah, me what happens. But <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you know, that is what focuses on the marketing side. But the trouble is now, because we haven't got e-privacy yet, and don't worry everyone, we're not gonna go deep into the legals, but yeah, you know, this links into the death of email, right? And the the rumour there, is that everyone panicked so much, whereas at the moment we've got a disconnect between GDPR and Pekka, the new e-privacy, we don't know what's gonna come in on that, but the likelihood is that it's gonna bring it all in line with GDPR. But you know what? The people that I've spoken to now and the businesses that I've seen who did really well with the GDPR stuff embraced it. Because this is what we've been preaching for the last 10, 11, 12, 13 years. It's... Talk to people who want to receive information from you. Be open, honest, and transparent, and then speak to them in a way that actually makes sense for them, for where they are in their journey with you, for the information that they've given you. You know, if somebody gives you data and says, yes, you have my permission to use this, if you don't then use it, you're doing yourself a disservice. But you're doing them a disservice as well. You know, that's not, they haven't gone through that process of giving you a yes for so you then to ignore it and just send them anything and everything. So I think that GDPR, and we've seen this in the numbers, why that's increased so much. I really don't think it's coincidence that in the year that GDPR comes into play, we see a £10 increase in return on investment. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's making people think about who they're sending their emails to and why they're sending them. So it links in perfectly with actually email is now stronger than it has ever been because people are having to do what we know is best practice to do anyway and gets you the best
0: results. Yeah, they're they're adapting to the changes in our society. And I think that's that's one of the key things here is that the organizations and the people surrounding the email industry have mm-hmm. since its inception adapted time and time and time again yeah. to the ebb and flow of societal changes emails is the one that killed off snail mail and I, yeah it did because snail mail didn't adapt but why Why is it two separate things like why is it it's one an, or the other it's an evolution uh, you know as our society has shifted into mm. the digital space letters just became emails it's, just, it's an evolution companies like the royal mail in all fairness should have probably got on the bandwagon and been you know the next hotmail or gmail we could have all had at royalmail.com email addresses wow look at that can you imagine what it yeah. would have been like if, if the True. the national postal systems across the globe had gone actually do you know what this is a yeah. trend that might be worth exploring instead they dug their heels in and went no 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 letters aren't gonna die yeah and this is what we've seen on the high streets as
1: well so where businesses haven't adapted, Woolworths, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it it's and, and others as well, not to, you know, name and shame Woolworths in particular, but you know, Toys R Us most recently. No, you toys. don't adapt. And so okay, so Toys R Us, so it's about the 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 online side, but it's also about the customer experience. So you went into a Toys R Us store and it was just shelving piled high with toys. There wasn't any experience, whereas when we've seen, you know, Smith's Toys Superstores, Smiggle, things like that, the experience that they give you in store, you know, they run a lot more events, things like that. People want that experience, and that's what we need to bring in to email. People aren't just a number. They are people, and they want an experience, and they want a relationship, whether you're B2B or B2C, it's about relationship building so you've got to understand your strategy and then
0: you've got to adapt that for your audience mm-hmm. it's interesting you talk about that experience um you know the, the question here is how do you take something that connection that you make with a real person mm-hmm. when you're in store or you know at an event or whatever it is where you're doing something in person and and reflect that into an online environment where you are most likely mm-hmm. by yourself mhm But it's the experiences, you know, let's just, let's take the email providers. So take the difference between Hotmail or Outlook.com, whichever one Mm -hmm. you use, and then Google and Mm -hmm. Gmail. And the difference in experience of simply using those products to send and receive emails and to manage your inbox, which are the challenges which we face, which is why email has such a bad rep is how do you manage the hundreds of emails coming into your inbox? Where Gmail has really tried to nail every part of that step so that one, you don't miss emails, two, that you can manage them easily, two, three, that it catches all of those real spam emails and all of the phishing ones. That's an experience still. It might not be, you know, a, a one-to-one experience with a human being, but actually it does make you feel a lot better.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think You know, we all joke about Gmail and, you know, Google do their own thing and and what have you. But actually, the experience that they're creating in the inbox at the moment is moving forward. You know, they're the ones pushing interactive email. They're the ones who've, you know, separated your primary emails from your promotional emails, which I think is a good thing. I love it. Why would you want your promotional emails in the same time?
0: They're not the same emails. Yeah. It's like I don't want to. Sorry, work colleagues. I don't want to mix my work colleagues with yep. my with my friends. It's a different mindset. Totally different group yep. of
1: people. And this is why you have LinkedIn versus facebook or instagram you know you do different things on those channels so you know with email all the and, and obviously outlook have done this now in Hotmail as well You've yeah got, like three like years later <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? and let's not even talk about outlook on desktop let's just not even go there. Well, no, you now have the focused and the other inbox but on desktop you don't have anything still I mean, they've only just brought out the um, functionality to be able to support animated GIFs, right? Only in
0: some circumstances. circumstances. And only with like the latest version of Outlook. So Microsoft, if you're listening, get with the times. Oh,
1: please, please, please. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I think, again, this is a really interesting topic, right? So it comes down to knowing your audience. So what platform are your audience using to read their emails? Are they on Gmail? Are they on Outlook, Hotmail, Outlook desktop, you know, where are they reading those emails? And then what is mobile? Obviously, can't obviously skip past that, but you know, what is the platform that they're using and how can you then best change their experience? So it's contextual data, it's another piece of data that we have as part of that hierarchy. How can we adapt that experience to best suit where they are right now in their lives? If they're open on a mobile, if they're on desktop, wherever they are, we have different tools available to us. So I saw a fantastic example from the white company. So I was on my mobile, checking my emails, fantastic example where it was all interactive on the mobile. So you could, it had like little flashing pluses over each of the products that then when you clicked on it, dropped down a little bit of information still in your email as to what that product was, then you could go through and buy it. You did it on the desktop, it was just a click through. To buy that product,
0: which app, got a app? Out of interest, which app did you use, or do you use the native mail app on my iPhone? See, I think that that kind of interaction, that kind of experience, is. Um, I mean, it really should have been from like two, three years ago that that businesses were mm-hmm. doing that, and all the email clients gave you that option. Yeah. Um, but that is going to be where we are heading. Yeah. That's where the evolution of email is going to be. Is that yeah minimalist but if you want to expand you know it's going to be more like web experience and
1: it should be it should be whatever makes that experience and that journey as easy as possible and as frictionless as possible for that subscriber to go through and take the action that you're encouraging them to take that's what we need to aim towards so getting the right information to them is obviously important and key but when we do how do we make that as easy as possible to take that action and an interactive email i think for me is massively exciting for experience back to the experience
0: my partner and i've mentioned i think i mentioned her before on these podcasts is big technophobe oh okay and she just did not get along with email and just thought it was a, you know marketing didn't work and all of that yeah. And then I think she received an email from, I want to say, Odeon. Okay. For the what was then the new Star Wars movie. Oh. And it was really interactive and it had animated GIFs. And it was just a really engaging email. And I think that, and the fact that I work in the email industry, it kind of engaged her. And I think to take somebody who doesn't engage with emails and create an experience mm-hmm. on an email that actually makes them want to tell someone about it... Yeah. that is good email. Yeah. And that is where we're going to see email survive and continue to survive. Even where you have channels like Slack and WhatsApp and, you know, whatever the new social media platform is gonna be, you know, every every time something new comes out, it's the death of email. Every single year. And something it never is. <laughs> and it never is, it never does because yeah. it you know, that then ends up getting used for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing people shift from using Facebook to using more WhatsApp because it's a far more contained environment because actually people are more aware of their privacy mm, yeah, even though WhatsApp still listens to your to you, but that's beside the point um but even still, like there is a shift, constant shift, and in terms of how things end up getting used, and I think a lot of these app providers can't necessarily predict that they they can't they had they had no idea how snapchat you know Snapchat was not intended for the way it's currently used. I've never used it. I've watched other people use it. But it, well, what was released before wasn't is not how it's being used now. That's so the same with
1: Facebook, isn't it? Well, yeah. And the evolution of that. And I think th- this is the thing.
0: So, you know, when
1: people say, yeah, email's dead and things like that, well, look, okay, let's put that to bed. We know yeah. it's not. You've just got to use it in the right way for your audience. So we can we can definitely put that to bed. But one of the other things that I think, keeps fighting email for budget and that conversation internally is that, A, because email works, people just go, oh, it works. Yeah, we'll just carry on doing what we're doing. You've got to evolve. You've got to fight for budget. You've got to fight for resource in your business to keep moving it forward and make sure you're using it in the right way. But the new and the sexy and the shiny often overtakes because email isn't seen as sexy and shiny but I mean for us I mean look interactive email you can't get much sexier and shinier than that can you the way that the amount of data that we have I mean oh my gosh if you don't get excited about that you shouldn't be working in email so (laughs) you know it's the experiences we can create are amazing but they are different from social media they are Channels should work together, not against each other. And we have to understand that you can't pit one against the other because they are fundamentally different. The way people use them is different. The way people want to use them is different. And exactly like you said, even you know the social media channels that are coming out, they're even trying to figure out how people want to use them. But email is the constant throughout all of it. But you know, my advice is don't fight each other work together because we know that, you know, omnichannel, channel multi-channel, whatever you want to call it, that works best because people don't see you as working in email, working in social media, working in search. Every single person out there that is buying from a brand sees you as a brand. So you have to have a message that goes across all of these platforms and that works together. So I think to me, that's absolutely key. But, you know, obviously from an email perspective, If we don't fight emails corner, if we don't invest in it, if we don't get the resources, the budget to get the strategy in place, yes, individually in your business, you're going to see a decline in email. Because like you say, you're sending a newsletter once a month. You're doing the same thing. You know, it's that um, definition of insanity, isn't it? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result from it. You have to adapt with how people are adapting online and the technology is moving with that. And we have to adapt our strategy with the data that we have. You know, I always talk about in any of the presentations that I do or when I'm teaching, it starts with your data. If you don't have a really solid data set, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you've got to understand your audience. You have the right data there. So I always say about um, conducting a data audit, so you can go as deep or as high level with this as you want to. But you've got to know where your data is, what you're collecting in your business. Now, are you using all of that for email? Or is there data in your business that you're not using for email that you could be pulling in? Where is it in your business? Who's using it? What are they using it for? Truly understand the ins and outs of every single piece of data you collect. Where is it? What are you using it for? Why aren't you using it? That side of things. Once you know that, think about the next step. What are you missing? If you could do anything with your email marketing, what would you do? And what data would you need to get you there? Once you know that, you can figure out how to collect it. Is it in the sign-up process? Is it progressive profiling as you go through the relationship and finding out more? You know, preference centers, in-email polls? Is it browse data, purchase data, contextual data, cultural data? Is it mixing all of that together with the new, well, I say new, but, you know, the artificial intelligence that we have now and being able to understand the connections between that data Once you understand that picture of what you have, where you want to go and how you're going to get there, that feeds your strategy. All comes from data.
0: Absolutely. And this is probably quite a nice segue to talk about the the differences between business to business and business Mm. to consumer, because they are two different audiences and the execution and the management of that email is different. The strategy is potentially different. What Or is it? I mean, this is where we, I guess we're going to get into. Based on what you've been saying so far Mm -hmm. around managing the strategy and the audience, Mm -hmm. what do you think are the main differences in the way business-to-business organizations and business-to-consumer organizations handle their email strategy? Yeah.
1: Okay. So really, really great question. I think on the whole, there are two differences that I would probably lay out. The first one is that a lot of the time, and again, this isn't every time, but a lot of the time, B2B sales cycles can be longer than in B2C. But again, you know, I mean, we can kind of throw that one back and forth. If you're buying a holiday, you're probably not just going to go on the internet and in 10 seconds buy a holiday. You're probably going to think about it for a few weeks research other holidays whereas you might buy a lipstick quite quickly you know so even in b2c you have those differences but i think that b2b a lot of the time there will be slightly longer buying processes um and i think that content wise usually how i think about it is b2c is more you can get away with a lot more selling. So, if we said, you know, 80, 90% selling emails versus 10, 20% informational, inspirational, that's probably a rough kind of, you know, finger in the air kind of number. Whereas B2B, I'd say it's probably the opposite of that. A lot more informational, relationship building, putting yourself as an authority, that educational side. And then the selling 10, 20% of the time off the back of that education. I think if I was to lay out the differences, those would be the main two. However, even within different B2C businesses, whether it's B2C, B2B, B2C compared to each other, between businesses in the same industry, your database is going to be different. Mm -hmm. So, Yes we can break down B2B and B2C and yes I think that there are different tactics that you can use and different ways you can communicate with people but even between if we just look at B2C two retail businesses are going to be completely different they're even in themselves in their own database going to have different people in their audience they have different ages different you know different locations that they live in different interests different Wants and desires—you know what you would wear, Lily, versus what I would wear—is probably completely different. And yet, we might well both shop at Next or Debenhams or you know wherever. Mm-hmm. So, again, for me, regardless of industry, it comes down to understanding your audience, understanding your data, and then using that for the communication.
0: Yeah, I think I'd add um, the f- alongside the two differences you've highlighted the number of individuals involved in a business-to-business purchase tend, not always, but tends to be more. You may have one primary decision maker, just like you may have a primary decision maker in a family unit, um, but there will be often additional people that need to be involved in some capacity in that buying cycle. So you're not just selling to one person, you are selling to an entire organization. But you're still selling to people. Just that's. A, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. The, and the second thing, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges, mm. is that in B2C marketing, you tend to have a much more uh, immediate ROI. So the purchases that can be made in a B2C environment are either immediate or near to immediate. So you can have that that attribution model that that is current, you know, you send an email, you make money off the back of it, or you run a PPC campaign and you sell stuff immediately off the back of it. Whereas when it comes to B2B, because that buying cycle is a little bit longer, because there are more people involved, you're not just going to send an email and have a purchase off the back of it. I mean, yes, there are those off chances where that stuff happens, but it's it's an exception rather than the rule. And I think that makes it harder for B2B organizations to one, prove the value of email and to make sure that they know why they're doing what they're doing because they don't see the immediate effect. If, they, if they're if they running a test, for example, yeah. they're not necessarily going to be able to say, well, this has yielded a higher return than this other version. So they, they have used, tend to start seeing more proxies being used, like the kind of open click-through rates, which don't always tell the right story so i think that for me those are the other two key differences but you know totally agree with the two that you have that you've mentioned
1: oh, i totally agree and it's that it was it was an average of nine touch was it even 12 now 12 touch points before someone's going to even consider buying from you and that's the same with b2c but b2b i think it's even longer than that and like you say you've got such a mix of different people but i think this is a really interesting distinction When people are at that stage where they are so far into their life cycle with you that they are on the cusp of buying and you need to get all of those decision makers in place and you have to have those conversations, that's where it switches into sales rather than marketing. So if you think about that, that buying life cycle where they're just finding out about you to considering buying from you, to actually going through the purchase process and the experience that they have with you, into loyalty and rebuying from you, and then the, the reengagement piece as well. Email is so strong at every one of those sectors, but I think this is a big difference between B2B and B2C. So B2C, you can basically have, exactly as you said, one person involved, perhaps, as they go around the entire life cycle you know they might be the the person in the family unit that's making the decisions once you get to right to the end of that consideration stage and into that purchase stage of b2b chances are you want your sales team in an office with them in the meeting it switches and it comes to that back to that multi-channel process doesn't it you've Hmm. got to take a different approach to it you've got to mix what you're doing the approach that you're taking you then go offline then they make the purchase for you, they come on board. Yes, you're going to onboard them in a person to person, an account manager is going to onboard someone, but you know what? Back that up with email. So I think we have to understand again data. Where are they in that life cycle with you? What do they need? Because the acquisition and the consideration process pre purchase for somebody in the B2B space. I cannot think of a better use of email. You know, I mean, you know, warming someone up, educating them, inspiring them, nurturing them to get on the phone with a salesperson to help them make that meeting because the sales process is hard.
0: Oh, yeah. They they need all the help they can get because it it is full on and it's getting harder and harder to to do that. So email needs to complement You know, sales is not seen as a channel in the multi-channel view when it comes to B2B, right? You talk about ABM marketing and it's talk about relationship. But why, you know, you send an email to someone as part of a relationship. Why can't marketing send an email alongside other kinds of, you know, do you know what? I'm going to take a step back and go the most effective businesses that I have seen is where the sales and marketing teams are one team. Work together, and they work together in a symbiotic relationship, as yeah. opposed to those that run independently, and they have different KPIs yeah. that don't correspond For to B2B, each other. Absolutely, it, you know they have yeah. to be one in the same. Yeah. Just because you have an, a human being speaking to someone and going through a sales process does not stop you yeah. from. Supporting that communication with emails as part of a journey, yeah.
1: And we do do it in the sense that if somebody comes onto our website and we offer them a free white paper, signing up to a webinar, you know, those kind of things, you are starting that email journey and being able to nurture them. And I think B two B can learn a lot from B two C, and B two C can learn a lot from B two B. We 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 need to go back and forth. I think in my experience. B2B is slightly behind where a lot of B2C companies are. But then, I mean, I see companies every day that aren't where they need to be in the B2C space either. So, you know, there's a comparison to everybody there. And everyone is where they are. But comes back to data, comes back to people. We are communicating with people and what do they need from us, regardless of B2B, B2C whoever you are whatever you're doing what do your audience need from you
0: individually and then use technology to help you do that what what do you think that b2b could learn from b2c okay
1: so i think that b2b could learn a lot more about giving it a go you know b2c is a lot more likely to again you know look, we're You know what's that word? We're um,
0: generalising. Generalising.
1: We're (laughs) thinking. We're generalising here against B two C, but I think that a lot of B two C companies are more likely to do A B testing. Well, I say that, but a lot on or don't do it properly. But perhaps they're more likely to give it a go. I think B two B can be a little bit more scared of that sometimes, or they've tried doing something, sending a monthly newsletter, and it hasn't worked. I do that in inverted commas because. What is worked, they don't necessarily know what that is, and I think that's an issue. Um, So, I think just getting started, giving it a go is a big one. Um, Understanding your data as well. Um, A lot of the bigger B2C companies, and we have you know both ranges throughout, but let's take a, a generalization there's a lot more data that they're collecting, all that purchase data, browser behavior data, you know, even at that level. I think b2b could learn a lot from that as well there is so much data available for b2b even down to if you've got somebody on the phone with someone that's data so i've been working with um a, a company called uh, tdc smile in a day so they do dental implants and things so they are b2c but they operate probably more of a b2b way and what I, I generally see them doing but you know when they have somebody call them up or you know speak to them those sales consultants because they're a b2c that does have a you've got to speak to somebody come in for an appointment it's a lot more b2b like in
0: that process i guess selling dental implants isn't a you, need, yeah, you, you need to have conversations because there's yeah. medical implications on to that so exactly yeah. so it's
1: more like b2b but it is to the consumer but i think there's a lot we can learn from this so You know, they, when they speak to people, we went through a a project where we were implementing email to support the sales process. Because if you think about Debenhams, I'm not picking on Debenhams, you know, specifically, but as as a big retailer, you, unless you need to speak to their customer services department and they're not there to sell to you. There's no sales process in that. So, you know, this company is very much like B2B. But what they do is when those salespeople, um, well, obviously they're not called salespeople, but when they get on the phone with somebody, recording those pieces of information. So before I worked with them, they were just, you know, typing in pieces of information that they could go back and read. But through my marketing, there was nothing they could pull out of that. So in their CRM, we implemented just a couple of little drop-down boxes that then for email marketing purposes, we could push through to their platform to use as pieces of data because we can't use freeform text to feed into anything. Mm. But depending on, you know, there's there's certain things that when you're looking for dental implants that you would be hitting on, whether it's confidence, not being able to eat properly, those can be put into a drop-down where you can select what their big challenge is, you know, the thing that's really connecting with them. If I know that it's a confidence piece. I can tailor my communications afterwards around build your confidence, feel better about yourself, those kind of messages, versus the struggling to eat piece where that's a completely different message. So I think there's a lot we can learn there that you know B2B has the data, even when it gets to that sales process side. So why not think about what are those common pieces of information your sales team are collecting? And get them to enter it into your CRM in a way that means you can pull it through as a data field. You know, just think about the process and that's what you can learn from B2C. That's all detailed, different pieces of data. You buy a skirt that's coming through into your database as a piece of data. So break it down and think about data audit. What have you got now? What would you like to have? How do you get it? Hmm.
0: I think the uh I used to do these um these presentations for the last company I worked for. And a lot of the presentations involved providing examples. Mm -hmm. And my favorite game was showing lots of examples from B to C because they tended to be the most interesting ones, the ones that were worthy enough of being in a presentation. And you always inevitably had got that question at the end yeah, but what about B two B?
1: So hard to find inverted commas good examples. Yeah, they're out there. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot more of an abundance of the B two C. Yeah, totally agree.
0: absolutely. And it's and it's really. I, I sometimes, depending on my mood at the time, would <laughs> challenge back and I'd say, why can you not use this B two C example and using your business, your context, your audience, and your strategy, and take this as a learning point. You gave a great example earlier on about Abandoned Basket. I remember doing a presentation about Abandoned Basket, and someone said, oh, but the, you know, what about B2B? We don't have carts. And I said, yeah, forms. Forms. You must bing, have bing. forms. Yeah. I used to work with a um, a, pro- a large pension provider, and they had this form for this one particular type of pension that was like, 15 pages long mm-hmm. and their conversion rate was like one and a half percent of course with 15 pages exactly <laughs> uh, but the problem was because of the way that this particular pension worked they really needed to have those pages filled yeah, out for financial. Fin- financial reasons legal reasons yeah. and they were just like we don't know how to we don't know how to get this uh, conversion rate up and so what I suggested to them was to uh, create an abandoned basket mm-hmm well, abandoned form, mm-hmm. um, and to make sure that they had a way of finding out exactly what, part, uh, what page they, they abandoned. Which you should be able to, because as they go through
1: each page, they're submitting yeah. a piece of information.
0: And if their system's clever enough, you could still save those questions. But what was happening was, one, they didn't save any of the questions... Oh. Okay. So you lose internet, you lose connection, that's it. All of the pages that you've filled out don't get saved. And you're not yeah. going to go back and do it again. was no. really long. <laughs> um, and what what they found was that there was about five or six questions that meant that people had to go and find like old P60s or oh. old, you know, documentation, old tax returns. Or, and, and so by the time they've gone and come back and they found all this information, it's gone Yep. Yeah. so the analysis of that form
1: is giving you two things it's giving you the ability to trigger an abandoned form email to bring them back to where they were save that data Okay, three things so save that data but also to understand where people are dropping off and why what is it that's stumping them yeah. that they then don't go through and convert i mean come on that's and,
0: amazing and so what they did so before they even started filling out the form, they yeah. said, please make sure you have these documents to hand because oh, you're going to need, I yeah, know, oh really simple, lovely. you're going to need this. So every time I fill out my tax return, I have a panic because I'm like, oh my God, where the hell is my P60? Yep. Um, and then you have, and then they kind of listed out in advance. And then what they had was a pop-up mm-hmm. that when someone was about to close the page and they uh, hadn't finished it, it, so do you want to speak to a customer service person to help you fill out this form? Them. and then if they did cancel it they'll send an abandoned form that says hey um you know we we've know you've saved, yeah. saved it if you need to go back um if you need some help filling out the questions get in touch with one of our helpers because that was the other thing they said to me is they've got a full customer service team that was available and i said but there's no mention of that anywhere on these pages they didn't even comment they didn't even have like a number and so really simple stuff that they implemented yeah. and it made a big difference and that that is like a, a perfect example of how a business-to-business organisation could take, like that, yeah. that kind of context, can learn from that kind of B to C. And I think yeah. that you need to think a little bit more outside the box. And it's a trait that a lot of yeah. those B two B companies have. And it's it's a real shame because there's a lot that you can learn. Yeah. The other thing as well, I'm sure you've heard this before, is like, oh no, we just we don't we're not that kind of business. We can't <laughs> we can't do that kind of marketing. And I'm like. Really? They're dealing with people, right? So why not? I would yeah. much rather, you know, I'm helpful. I am in the position of buying certain software. Mm-hmm. I am in the position in my business to be that business-to-business buyer. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk to someone who treats me like a human, not like a business. I'm a representative, and ambassador to the business, but I've got a personality. I've got interests. I want to be treated nicely. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be hounded. And I think that's just as bad. I think, you know, that example that you just gave is
1: amazing. I think what that also pushes back on is, eight, knowing your data. That's all about data and understanding the drop-off and why. But it's also taking a step back sometimes. And whether we're B2B or B2C, we need to do this. Take a step back and actually go through the process. That your subscribers, your potential customers are going through with you. Where are the difficulties? You know, where is it that it's stopping? Even go through your email sign-up process. Does it make sense? Is it interesting? (laughs) Do you have one? Do you have one? Oh, my
0: gosh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Love that one. How are are you growing your database? Oh, we're not really. We're not sure why and we're not growing. Only
1: when people are making a purchase. Why aren't you missing two stages, the acquisition and the consideration stage, where you could nurture people to make a purchase. If you only collect data when someone purchases from you, you are only allowing yourself to do that um, uh, post-purchase follow-up and try and get them back in to buy from you again. You're missing that first acquisition stage and getting them to buy from you in the first time which is a really important stage. So yeah, understand your processes, understanding what's missing. This is going to feed into your strategy as well. So one of the things that we do when we work with a a new client a lot of the time is to do an audit of their email program. From start to finish, what are you missing? Once we know what they're missing, what they're doing really well now, what's in place now, but where those gaps are. Mm -hmm. If we know where those gaps are, then we can say, okay, Over the next six months, 12 months that we're working together, these are our focus areas. This is your low-hanging fruit. I hate to use the cliche term, but this is where you're going to get the biggest return on investment. These are the projects that are going to take a little bit longer to put in place. This is where we now focus. It gives you that focus. So an audit of what you're doing and within that of your data, really
0: important. This concept of an audit is a really good... A really good way to identify those gaps and also to prioritize them because some may have a bigger impact based on the bigger picture yeah. than others you know if you we've talked about what business to business can learn from business to consumer and let's flip that on its head what can b2c organizations learn from b2b
1: a lot actually that more personal process. So where B2B has that sales process and that one-to-one personal communication, I think this is where we can push it back to B2C. So what we were just talking about in terms of understanding your processes, that people are actually going through those processes, that's the first thing. But then you've got things like lead scoring. So a lot of salespeople will use that information about what people have done before as to whether or not they are ready to be contacted. So, you know, we are scoring them based on whether or not they've taken out a demo of our software or, you know, what what are those pieces of information that are feeding in that tell you Again, data, right? It's all about data that tell you where people are in that journey and what they need from you. And there are a lot of B2B companies that do that really well to feed into the sales process. Um, They don't necessarily support that with email, which they definitely need to be. But I think for me, that's definitely a really good point that B2C can be picking up on. Mm.
0: Those B2B organizations that I mentioned that where sales and marketing work in, in a symbiotic relationship, the the I think the key difference there is that concept of lead scoring. That when it's done effectively, lead scoring can be incredibly powerful because, like we've said, it's really hard for salespeople, right, to 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 close those sales. And anyone who thinks otherwise needs to go and work on a sales floor oh, for yes. a few years and they'll they'll change their minds. But where you have marketing warming those leads you know someone downloading a white paper is not necessarily a lead but in combination the
1: beginning stages of being a lead it's in that acquisition stage but you're missing that consideration nurture stage to get them to the purchase
0: yeah maybe maybe you've acquired their email address Mm -hmm. which is just as important because now they are in that pot that melting pot of of warming leads i've got this visualization of witches and cauldrons and stuff uh, with these leads. But that's effectively what marketing is doing. They're warming up these leads to the point where they go, based on the data that we have, we know what a hot lead is. And now because yeah. we know that we have warmed this particular lead up to a certain point, we're going to pass that through to the sales team. Mm-hmm. And alongside, they'll, they will be able to say, okay, th- these are the communications that people have downloaded. This is th- this, is this, this is that. And then that salesperson has a lot, more, a lot more to go on when they're going through that sales process.
1: But B2B miss out on this a lot as well. So as they're going through that lead scoring, before they're ready to get to that point where they're talking to a salesperson that's your email marketing, that's that's your gold. Because you're, you're learning at every stage, it's your data hierarchy. It's those pieces of data that are going to tell you what content is it that they need. So based on what they've done before, what do they need to know next to get them to the end goal of coming through and speaking to your sales team? So it's understanding each step and then making sure that we actually deliver I'd say it again, but right message, right person, right time, that trifecta, if you can hit that, that's where you get the highest return on investment. That's where you see the highest engagement. That's where you see the best conversions through to whatever it is that you want to convert to. So again, it it just comes back to everything that we've spoken about, you know, over this podcast, understanding who you're talking to, what they need from you, when they need it, and then how you're going to deliver that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we we talked about ROI being one of the other challenges. And Mm -hmm. when we're talking about these longer sales processes and the right person, the right message, the right time, Mm -hmm. this is where you can start doing some really interesting stuff and learning from B2C in that, you know, assigning a value to an engagement or to a message or you know, there are different stages at which you can assign a value, like a monetary value.
1: Yeah.
0: And the companies that hit those particular milestones mm-hmm. are worth either more or less to you as a business. And therefore yeah. you can start to demonstrate some kind of ROI or at least some kind of numeric yeah. value. To that relationship-based process, even if that company doesn't close, at least yeah. you know that up until that point, your efforts have not gone to waste. Yeah, agreed. And then that is how you can start to create that that similar approach mm-hmm. to B 2 C, and the immediacy. You know, if someone engages with these emails mm-hmm. in some capacity, or, or makes or d- downloads something, or creates some sort of action, that is going to be of value. Build that into your your ROI and into your value. Process. That's what it's all about, isn't it?
1: Value for that person receiving those emails from you. If you can think, every time you send out an email, what's the value for the person receiving it? How does it connect with them and what they need? That's a great starting point. <laughs> yeah,
0: and if you know your cost. And I'm not just talking about the cost that your service provider charges you. I'm talking about the the length of time it takes for you to create that piece of content, to create that email. If you know how much it costs and you know potentially how much that's going to be worth, there you've got your ROI. Yeah. You've got the other type of value coming back for the business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For the subscriber and for the business.
0: And then that means you can go to your boss and you say, hey, I've brought in X amount of ROI. I want more budget. And then email is going to get bigger and stronger and never die. No, it will never die. (laughs) But as long as, you know, as long as you you listeners are hearing this and are implementing it and the narrative changes from what was two years ago, because it's shifting, but it hasn't shifted. If we can change that narrative, if we can change the way in which people talk about email, then maybe people's perception of email might change a bit. Yeah. And I think GDPR has helped. I yeah. think the way that some B2B b c companies have approached their email marketing. Yeah. Because that typically is the first yeah. type of email that people tend to not everyone yeah. is, is in the place to buy business software or business business services. Yeah. So if the B2C companies who are driving the impression can change the way they're doing yeah. it and they are and a lot are. of companies are absolutely I, you know totally agree. yeah um i think that's and everyone else can kind of follow suit then mm-hmm. i think we're going to see a real change in the industry yeah. i love that um, it just
1: i know i know it does for you as well you know we're very similar like this that this is where it's so exciting and this is where we are so lucky to work in the industry that we do because i think we have so much of an opportunity here to help so many businesses drive forward. For me, it's really exciting. I think for the listeners of this podcast, whether you are, you know, right at the beginning and you're you're just getting started with email or you're you're working for a business that sends out regular emails, gets a fantastic return on investment, but it's still in terms of a strategy maturity, still at a reasonably basic level, or whether you're completely at the opposite opposite end of the scale, and, you know, you're doing some really advanced stuff and you're breaking down that data. I think the key message here is think about it. Think about why you're doing it, what you want to achieve, and just keep pushing forward. You know, it's it's an industry that is evolving. And actually, more than anything, it's the people that we're sending to that are evolving. And digital as a whole and as, as strategists, we've got to keep up with that and make sure that email stays at the forefront.
0: Then their expectations are changing and we've got to take, it, exactly. take that into account. I think that's really important and a fantastic way to end this episode. Thank you so much for, for coming and, and talking to me about this and I hope our listeners have been able to take plenty from this conversation. If you have any comments or want to feed into this conversation, please drop us an email to email at dma.org.uk. That's email at dma.org.uk. I've been your host, Lily Boev, and this has been My Dog Ate My Email.